So welcome back to Table 40. Uh, Matt Holiday here with my wife, Leslie, and we have special guests, Matt and Sarah Hasselbeck, and we're glad to have them on. And Matt and I share the same hairdo. So we, uh, we are two bald guys and two blonde girls talking about life. So um, thanks, guys, for coming on. Hey, we're excited to be here. My wife is a big fan of this podcast. And Matt, I'm a big fan of yours. I don't know if you remember this, but we were in a poster together for Children's Hospital. It was like four bald people. And they did this poster and they put it in Children's Hospital in Seattle. And it was uh, it was like bald is beautiful. And I just remember I recognized everybody in the picture right away. But I didn't even recognize you because you look so much different with a hat on, a baseball hat. So uh all I knew is you were a really good looking guy and I felt like I was looking in a mirror. That's right. Yeah. You know, uh, some, some guys just can't pull it off, but two of us thankfully, reasonably, we choose, we, we, yeah. we choose this haircut. I like to keep people guessing, you know, I don't, they don't know whether I'm bald or, or I like it, this look. So. Oh, I know. I know. She knows, but most because I don't. was deceived when we first met. It had <laughs> like locks that were like natural curly and super flowing locks. And you know, whatever you know you marry for the what's inside it looks right? awesome under a hat the problem was i had that when i couldn't wear a hat i had some issues in the top yeah you you gotta quit on it before it quits on you That's sarah true. said to me the other day she said you know if you could grow your hair back would you and i said no i don't think i would and the sad look on her her face was <laughs> unbelievable. I was like, was that the wrong answer? <laughs> it hurt a little bit. My confidence was shook, but uh, yeah. I'll get over it. I've, I've been hurt before. Yeah, well, I live vicariously through my boys. They have this long, like, sandy brown hair that yes. looks similar to what I used to have. And I'm like, yeah, you guys hold on to that as long as you can. Yeah, well, we can relate. We've got a, a, a 15-year-old son who looks a little bit like Trevor Lawrence right now. So oh, nice. uh, we can yeah, relate. About right there too, so. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. All right, Matt. So you grew up, your dad played in the NFL, and then um, you have, a, what, two brothers or three brothers? You have three brothers? No, two brothers. You have one of three? Yeah, so I football family my dad fell and my two younger brothers like we didn't know that that was unusual we just probably maybe like your kids a little bit like we thought it was totally normal to play catch with Lawrence Taylor and Morrow <laughs> at practice like we didn't know the that um you know when my dad was with the Minnesota Vikings like and Archie Manning was the third string quarterback. We didn't know it was weird that we were playing touch football with Cooper Manning, Peyton Manning, and Eli Manning against like Jan Stanerud, the Hall of Fame kicker. We just thought that's what everyone was doing. Like we just, we didn't know. I thought I just had really athletic friends. And uh, it wasn't until my dad was done playing that we couldn't get like free wristbands and Access. extra gloves yeah. you know, like from the equipment room that we realized that, oh, wait a sec, that was like super cool and uh, we should have appreciated it a lot more while we had it. Yeah, that's how I feel. That's what the same sentiment our kids would say as well because we brought them everywhere with us. Is that what your parents did? You guys just rolled together as a big team? Well, it was different back then. You know, players, NFL football players didn't make nearly the amount of money. Like yeah. we had a, a big station wagon with brown wood paneling on the side. Which is awesome. And, uh, our other car was our, our other car was a small Volkswagen. So like it was a different time. Players weren't what they make now. But uh, we did stay as a family. So my dad played for the New England Patriots, the L.A. Raiders, uh, the Minnesota Vikings, and the New York Giants. So we would do half of the year, you know, say with the Los Angeles Raiders. It was a great year. We win the Super Bowl. And then we come back home to our home base, which was in Boston, Massachusetts. And uh, back then, it wasn't that big of a deal. You come back for second semester, and all your friends were like, where have you been? Oh, well, my <laughs> dad was just on the Raiders. We just Playing won the Super NFL. Bowl. It was like, oh. It was like, okay, yeah, you know, did you see this, you know, who are you rooting for now, the Celtics or the Lakers? Like, they didn't care that much. So it wasn't that big of a deal to me. Um, like I said, until it was over, then it was a huge deal to me. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. And then you guys met um, when you were at college, right? At Boston College? Yeah, we met at freshman orientation. Um, so it was in June, right after high school graduation. And then um, – I saw him and the girl I was standing next to, 
I just kind of looked at her and was like, wow, who's that? And she said, oh, that's my Hasselback. He's so cocky. <laughs> and I just, I just uh, thought to myself, oh, I love him. <laughs> uh, that, that, With his long hair. That, that girl was telling the truth. I was, was very cocky. I, I was, you know, I mostly grew up in Boston and it just was, uh, it was real competitive. I took a train to high school every day. I went to an all boys school. It was competitive there. It was just play every sport you could, you know, play all day. You wake up in the morning, the kids in your neighborhood, you're playing basketball all day in the driveway or somewhere. You're playing football. You're doing something. You're inventing a game. You're playing wiffle ball. And um, I was so excited to go to college. I was so excited to be in a co-ed experience. I was so excited. I went to play for Tom Coughlin at BC. We're getting ready to play the University of Miami, uh, you know, on national TV to start the year. I was just ready to go. So I show up at orientation and uh, I met Sarah, but she didn't know it at the time. But when it went to time for like registering for classes, I, you know, it wasn't online or anything. It was like pen paper. So I sat behind her when we signed up for classes and I copied her class schedule verbatim like just I was like listen I'm guaranteed to have like one really pretty girl in in every single one of my classes if I'm in every class with this girl so that's kind of how it started out and uh then we show up for school in September and it was like wow what a coincidence you're in this class like whoa oh and this one too this is fate this is meant to be Uh, but she was, a, she was, I didn't realize that she was a much better student than me. So I really had to like focus on my academics more than I expected to because it was so important to her. It needed to be important to me. Yeah. And he, I never got in trouble in high school and he was such, so talkative. <laughs> like I get in trouble in class for talking to him in college. I was like, this isn't, I'm not used to this. I was multitasking. I was listening and I was talking at the same time. <laughs> That's amazing. And Sarah, you played field hockey at Boston College. And so what was it like with y'all's schedule? It was real different, yeah? I mean, both of you were playing sports and... Yeah, but um, it was cool because he, my field hockey was as important as his football. And uh, we both respected that. We had like 5 a.m. practices, like Tuesday, Thursday, I would have it and have to get to bed early. And he would have it Monday, Wednesday, Friday and understand that he had to get to bed early. Um, Sarah's, Sarah's being humble right now. So here's what really went down. I'm going to tell you the truth, okay? <laughs> so I, I did, wasn't like a partier or anything in high school. I was real super strict. Sarah was probably a little bit of a partier in high school, okay? We get to college freshman year. Sarah's like this elite athlete. Like she is like Biggie's freshman of the year. She's the starter. She's the, she ends up being Eagle of the year by the end of our time there. She's in the hall of fame 16 years before I was at BC. Like she was a factor freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year. I was a total bench. I wasn't even a bench warmer. There wasn't even a spot for me on the bench. So my freshman year, while she was very serious about her sport playing Carolina and like all these great schools. Um, I'm on the bench. I'm a non-factor. I'm essentially kind of like partying through freshman year, even sophomore year, junior year. Um, I was fifth string quarterback one year and I saw it cause I saw the depth chart in the coach's room and I was like, wait a sec, there's only four of us now. Uh, how can I be fifth string? And I asked one of the coaches, I'm like, what's up with that? And it was like a young GA and he was like, Oh no, he shouldn't have told me this, but he did. He was like, Oh, I heard the coaches talking about this. Basically, if everyone got hurt, they would take a guy on defense and move him to quarterback before they put you in. I was like, Oh, okay. So, but all that while Sarah really was, um, helping change that Boston College field hockey program to a point where they were in the Elite Eight uh, in the NCAA tournament. So her college experience was intense athletically and academically from day one. And I was just kind of floating through mine in the first three years. So it was, uh, it was very different, I would say, um, for the two of us. <laughs> so how, how did that happen? So how, how did you go from sort of fifth string quarterback to – playing 15 years in the NFL and making Pro Bowls and winning Super Bowls? You took a big... That was God. That would be God for sure. Um, God's hand in Matthew's life at BC is so evident when we look back at it. Because, um, you know, his coach, he had a new coach every season. And 
the year that he was supposed to become the starter, he gets um, contracts hepatitis A. Hepatitis A. I was on a I was on like a volunteer mission trip in Jamaica. So so basically, like a lot of things were going on. Uh, seeds were being planted. I, I grew up in a Christian home, and I I really had I think an incredibly solid foundation. And uh, but all of a sudden, I'm away from my support group, and I'm away from you know, the people that were there to sort of like, we were holding each other accountable and I'm in a whole nother environment. And, um, you know, it was just different. College was different, but I, a couple of things happened. Number one, I started dating Sarah immediately and she invited me to this FCA huddle. I'd never even heard of FCA. I grew up in Boston. We didn't have it. I didn't even know what it was. But, but I was only going because I thought it was a leadership thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really didn't know it was spiritually based. I thought it was like, it's for athletes and we're going to learn how to be leaders. And so it was Wednesday night in the weight room yeah. and I wanted, and I loved it kind of like Matthew loved getting all the athletes together and thought we would create this bond. I, I wish I could tell you it was a real spiritual thing for me at the time. Like I heard my, my hot girlfriend was like FCA, blah, 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 FCA. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm there. What? I don't even know what you just said, but I'm there. Yeah. So uh, I, when I look back at it, there was like a couple of things intersecting all at once in college there. It was, um, it was a definitely a pivotal moment um, that spring of junior year when Matthew um, catches um, hepatitis. He went to Jamaica on this um, missions trip, and he had this real um, pivot in his heart um, about who he is, is um, and what he what he wants to be and who he wants to be and where football falls in that. And he, and his faith is kind of exploding inside of him, and he doesn't realize it. And at the same time, we were starting to go to this um, FCA huddle on Wednesday nights. And I was, I didn't realize it until years looking back that that's when um, God sent some people to start loving me. And it, it might, it took a bunch of years for me to. It took a long time because I just need to intersect here real quick because she invited me and she went to like maybe the first couple. And then before you know it, like that, it is me <laughs> and nobody else. It is me and the strength coach that's leading it. Like sharing a dumb, like in front of his back being embarrassed at times that I was there. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. I'm sharing a dumbbell bench bench. Like I'm straddling this side and straddling that side like a seesaw. And we were sitting there and like praying and going through the Bible. And it just was like, where did everybody go? And that was maybe two years. That was the first year of it. Um, but like Sarah said, like looking back now, we see the fruits of that. I mean, I'm still getting, uh, I still get devotionals from that strength coach now. Like he's meant so much to me and we were away for 20 years or something like that. Um, I'd see him in the NFL. He was a strength coach in the NFL with the New York Giants for a long time. And um, and he meant a lot to me, he meant a lot to Sarah, but it was just like the, the planting of seeds. Those seeds got watered for her at a different pace at a, and for me at a different pace. And she mentioned, she mentioned, mentions uh, Jamaica. I got sick in Jamaica and I went on this mission trip and it wasn't like I had these like wonderful intentions of, um, you know, even applying for the trip, but uh, God works in just really miraculous ways. And I ran from the trip in every which way that I could. And before you know it, I'm there. And I came back sick and I came back a different person. Like I just came back, um, you know, my whole life I had looked up to these like NFL quarterbacks. I wanted to be like them. I wanted to have what they had. And it, it was a, a lums of Kingston, Jamaica, who I sat next to one night singing hymns and playing a harmonica. And he's saying, you know, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for all you've done in my life. And literally, the man has no eyes, no ears, no nose, no uh, fingers. And I'm saying to myself, I want what he has, not necessarily all these Hall of Fame quarterbacks that I had looked up to. And the irony of it is, is I back with sort of the mindset of being more like this man. His name was George, being more like George. And in the process, to answer your question, Matt, I started maximizing my God-given ability, and I was becoming more like those Hall of Fame quarterbacks that I looked up to when I was little. And all the while, I think Sarah saw the change in me, which was a drastic change. And, um, and you know, God was knocking on the door of her heart in many ways, too. With uh, Well, her name was Roxanne Robbins, and she was lead coming to that, um, that huddle. And she was just kind to me. 
it wasn't even telling, giving me the gospel message. It was for some reason at that age, it was just someone unconditionally asking how I was and offering to take me out to get something to eat or, or just being nice. And, um, and it was more than just nice. It was just like, the, you know, in the Bible, it talks about some, some have the aroma of Christ. Mm-hmm. And there were just some people we met along the way in our journey in college where I know for you, and even after college, especially after college, um, you know, I think of Jessica and Danny Werfel as yeah. an example. Before we jump to them, because they're amazing, but um, one, one t- event that happened at one of those huddles was she had brought this um, soccer player from Harvard in, and um, he was with a, a group of them, and they um, were Harvard athletes, so I was kind of intrigued by that. Um, but he started crying about the love of Jesus, and I just remember sitting there going, why are you crying? crying how how do you feel that emotion about Jesus um and it took me years from that point to get to where I understood that but it but it was a moment that someone shared and shared so um impact impactfully and so strongly that that even though I didn't give my life over at that moment it was like just it 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 made a big impact in my life and you trust she trusted this woman in rocks Sam because they um, they friends because she was trusted. Yeah. Um, it's quite a journey, and honestly, looking back, it's sort of amazing to think like, like how far away we were and how we were. About uh, okay, it, it it really worked out right. um, powerfully, but we would have never designed it that way. It would um, right. <laughs> yeah, lots of ebbs and flows for sure. And we, Matt and I have an opportunity to help we host a Bible study for college kids at Oklahoma state and it is such a joy to be able to bring them into the home and kind of build relationships with them and um, feed them. Cause that's a huge deal for college athletes and, and <laughs> sorority girls to be able to have a little bit of food, but it's been neat to be able to just sit with them and enjoy their stories and kind of meet them where they are versus um, just being kind, I guess. And that would be my encouragement for listening to your story and then some of the experience that Matt and I had is you don't have to have a PowerPoint presentation of what the gospel is, but being able to live it out in someone's life, being there um, is really anyone can do that. Right. And so that's how we respond to the love of Jesus is we just do life with someone. And um, anyway, that's really cool. I love that. I love that. And so you get drafted, right, Matt? So you end up, you end up playing um, college football at Boston College. And so you had a successful run. You didn't stay at the bottom well, of the Well, bar- bar- barely, barely. <laughs> my, my rookie card says you had more interceptions than touchdowns in college. And <laughs> it's true. It also says on my rookie card, you rushed for like negative 200 and something yards in college. So I, I, I thank you for saying it was successful. But it was um, – <laughs> I don't know. It was. Yeah, I think the, the coolest stories about Matthew is that he, when it came time for the draft time, and I was really naive through that whole process in that time, didn't really understand any how it would go down or how, um, how it happens. But I, he had gone into the film room and made himself a tape, a, a highlight tape, and sent it to all the NFL teams himself. It was a short tape. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, and all, and only one NFL coach came to watch him um, have a pro day. Uh, uh, somewhat true, somewhat true. There were some coaches that came, but there was only one person. I had a pro day. I wasn't invited to the combine. So I had a pro day, like a big pro day. You know, guy Joe Burrow has one, and, you know, these guys have them, and everybody shows oh, up. I, I had one. Only one coach showed up for that. Other people came to have lunch, but it was just the quarterback's coach for the Green Bay Packers, Andy Reid, that showed up for workout and then even we got snow so it was uh it wasn't looking good that wasn't trending in the right direction but I did get drafted to the Green Bay Packers in 1998 and uh I played behind Brett Favre I didn't really play behind Brett Favre I was on the team behind Brett Favre and um I was I was allowed to hold for extra points and field goals but it was a it was a dream come true it was an answer to prayer and it was um really an amazing experience and so your first year in the NFL, did you guys meet? Because um, I know for Matt and I, an experience that we're very grateful for is the beginning of his career. It's like the Lord provided immediately um, mentors and people that had kind of 
have really shaped our faith and our perspective of who Jesus is and then how to incorporate our faith into what it ended up being a job of his for 20 some years. And so is there anybody like that for you guys in Green Bay? A hundred percent. And we weren't together because at first, Sarah mentioned she was real studious. So she was an accounting major and then she became a CPA. So she was working in Boston. I was out in Green Bay my first year, not even sure if I was going to make the team. I ended up being on the practice squad and, um, you know, just to your point, there was Ilbert and he was our player engagement director. He played defensive back for the, what was then the San Diego chargers. And he just put me in a headlock and like, Hey, who's discipling you? And I'm like, what does that even mean? Discipling? <laughs> like what, what, like that's like the dudes that wore sandals, like Jesus's friends. Like that's what you mean. And he was like, this guy put me in a headlock. He's like, we're reading this book together. We're meeting now. We're, we're doing this. Uh, um, the Bible's on the team, but I was, wasn't a couple. I wasn't married. I was like, uh, I was running. I was hiding. I was looking for excuses and this guy wasn't having it. He was not having it. And so Gilbert meant a lot to me in my first year. Reggie White was a teammate of mine. I was the fourth string quarterback. So uh, it was Brett Favre, Doug Peterson, Rick Meyer, and then me. And there's really nothing for a fourth string quarterback to do it. I'm out team type. Go up against this guy named Reggie White. And he's like maybe the best defensive player that's ever played. And just a really solid, devout Christian man. Um, he meant a lot to me. There was a wide receiver named Robert Brooks. I wasn't sure if Robert Brooks knew my name, but uh, he he had an incredible impact on me. Uh, what those guys did in the team Bible study and team chapel. Um, I just, I think about those three guys, and there were certainly others. Uh, my second year, we mentioned Jenny Werfel became the uh, one of the backup quarterbacks with us. You can't even say enough about Danny Werfel. Um, you know, he challenged me and helped me grow. Actually, that was my third year Danny Werfel was there. There, there were people – every year was different. It was a different head coach every year. There were different um, – we got married the second uh, – the third year, engaged the second year. But the growth that happened in Green Bay, we were the Witness Protect program. We grew up. We, we grew in our faith. We grew as a married couple, got pregnant, had our – you know, ready to have our first child. And it prepared us – for what was about to come, which was basically 10 years in Seattle as the starting quarterback, um, which was drastically different than being the starting holder for extra points. <laughs> and we're grateful for, for kind of all that preparation. Yeah, for, for me, um, I got to, Mac, to Green Bay Matthew's third year, and uh, Danny and Jessica um, were on the team. And meeting Jessica uh, um, definitely changed because – when I met her, I said, I said to myself, there's something different about her and I want the joy that she has. She was just happy um, and happy with nothing. <laughs> you know, she wasn't out for anything. She didn't need for anything. And there, there was something different about her and I wanted what, and I knew I wanted that, that um, joy. And the way she loved her husband um, and honored him and cheered for him um, and the way they talked to each other I thought, because it was our first year of marriage, I think it was, I thought it was really good for me to watch that um, and have it modeled in a way um, that was kind of counter, counter what I thought, how it, how it should be. So she, she did a lot to set me up for, for what was going to happen when I got to, to Seattle, that my heart was open to the amazing Christian women that were going to be in Seattle, that I would even want to be drawn to them. So she would kind of teed me up for what was coming. Yeah, crack my heart open, and I and then I was able to receive and and be drawn to the women that I should have been drawn to when I got to Seattle. Yeah, that's really cool. That's that's incredible. So y'all go to Seattle. You're starting quarterback. Things change a lot, obviously, with that role. Um, and then so what? So we we had Ben Roethlisberger on a week or so ago, and he said something that I thought was really interesting. Matt asked a really great question. And um, it was basically like as a quarterback, and I didn't realize, I didn't put this together until Matt asked the question, but as a Christian man going into a big role where you are the leader, you're the starter, 
And Matt asked Ben, like, well, what do you do? Do you get to know everybody on the team? Like, how do you lead? And his answer was like, uh, no. <laughs> and so anyway, and he sort of talked about how that's been a challenge for him to not get to know everybody. And what does that look like for you guys as being a little bit more mature in your faith at the beginning of such a big role? Is it near impossible as a football player to know everyone on the team? Like, kind of explain that to me from – from y'all's perspective? Well, it, it's, a, it's a great question. It's funny, people would always ask me, um, what was it like backing up Brett Favre for three years? And like, that was like the number one question I got for 15 years. And the thing that I would always remember, like Brett never really gave me much advice. Like he gave me advice two times ever. Once was about throwing this play. It's like an Oscar, it's an Oki, it's a square out. Like it, it's just like some random out route. And the only other time he really gave me advice, uh, he like looked me dead in the eyes. He was like, let me give you some advice. Learn the name of every single person in this building. It'll be such a, a much better, uh, it'll be so much more, uh, I'm trying to think how he said it. Basically, you'll benefit, they'll benefit, and you will love coming to work if you know the name of every person that you, that you work with. And I just thought it was like a, a remarkable thing for him to say. It's like, put him to it. Like, all right, that's, he says that I'm going to see if he really knows it. And he, he lived it. Like, you know, he wasn't a perfect guy, but he was an incredible leader. And he is, he is someone who's grown and matured and I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. But um, when he got inducted into the Green Bay Packers, it's their ring of honor uh he thanked i can't even tell you just about everybody in the organization and he knew them by name and he knows them and that's a special quality and it's not easy it's hard it's difficult yeah. uh but it's rewarding and i think that was the thing that that uh that i tried to do uh i worked very very hard at that uh at times i was doing a great job with that and i wasn't doing as great of a job at playing football so you got to do both that that was that was another thing that I learned uh, I got to Seattle I knew everybody's name but I couldn't complete the ball on third down so it took me a little bit but um, I think that's that's a uh, that's something to strive for and, and I, you don't even have to be the quarterback like I think it's something to strive for in anything that you're doing I agree with you that's that's really good advice that's neat yeah that's because I was thinking, you know, with 53 guys, it's a lot harder than – or you have practice squad players. And then, you know, for us, we only have 25, thankfully. So uh, it's, it's definitely, I would say, probably – But you, you, know, you, know what, you know what's funny about that, Matt? It's not even the players. Like, players come and go. It, the players obviously are important. Like, those are your teammates. But there's so many people that contribute to the success of a team that don't wear a helmet and shoulder pads. Mm -hmm. I think right away, if you were to ask every, every quarterback in the NFL, name your five best friends on the team, one of them's not going to be a player. At yeah. least it's going to be an equipment guy. It's going to be an athletic trainer. It's going to be the PR guy. It's gonna, or, you know, I say guy, there's women now, which is great, you know, in a lot of these roles. It's going to be, it's going to be someone in a support role. We had this woman in Seattle named Sandy Gregory. She was the head of community outreach. If I had like a problem or we had, if I wanted to go to anybody, I knew I could go to my coach, I could go to one of my teammates and I could go to Sandy. And like times were good sometimes in Seattle as the starting quarterback. There were other times, times were bad. And, you know, you could go to Sandy and it did not matter. And yet she had seen it all. She was one of the first employees the Seattle Seahawks had ever had. She'd been there, done it, seen it with Jim Zorn and Dave Craig and Steve Largent and Jacob Green, Kenny Easley. Like nothing phased her. It was like, oh, you're good. Don't worry about it. Um, and there's value in that. So not just, not just the players, I would say. You know, and it's important to be a good leader because you want to win, right? That's the kind of the main goal of being part of this NFL team and to make it to the Super Bowl and win. But if we look back on those 18 years, we would have missed out on some awesome friendships if he wasn't knowing everyone in the building and knowing everyone on his team and bringing them home for dinner and having them over in the off season. Like being a leader, you get so much out of it. Like it benefited our entire family because we, we knew everyone on the team or tried to. And um, I would say too, yeah, I would say that. one of the rewarding things for us in the process of this 
can't tell you how many times a younger player had a almost like a mentor type influence on one of us. Um, and they were the younger player, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm the veteran quarterback and then the rookie fullback says, Hey, can I talk to you? Uh, I think you need to apologize to that coach. Uh, you know, and that, and that, you know, short yardage and goal line drill, you were really, um, you know, disrespectful. I'm like, no, you know, I come home, I tell her, she's like, oh yeah. Then I apologize. And it's like, oh wow. It changes the whole relationship. Yeah. Some like young rookie fullback decides like he's going to speak up to the starting quarterback who, you know, it just, it's not always like the older person knows more than the younger person. So we, we were, yeah, we, we were and, blessed. And especially in our faith. Well, for me, I was so, I was like a kindergartner and some of these girls who had grown up in Christian homes that have been going to, um, church and Bible studies for so many more years than me and knew the Bible, which I didn't know. I was learning from, you know, girls five years, six years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there was, there was a lot of growth in Seattle yeah. for sure. <laughs> That's incredible. And there, there had been, um, Seattle's a special place. When we had gotten there, there were, there were some like a hall of fame, Christians that surrounded <laughs> that team and kind of um, yeah we'll give you like an example we replaced basically the quarterbacks the starting quarterbacks the year before I got there were John Kitna and Barack Hewitt mm-hmm. who you know I didn't play with either one of them but the the wake that they left yeah. you know you think about like That's a, a speedboat like a wakeboarding boat in the wake that it leaves like you don't have to even see the boat you know it was there like that's Kitna that's that's Brock Heward they they had an impact and many others but um you know I stepped in kind of a situation and and um we stepped into a team that cared about Matthew and Sarah more than they cared about what Matthew was going to do for the team and that's we benefited for that from that for years there and former players that lived in the area that were willing to pour back into um Seahawks yeah, that's, sure. that's good. That's good. I love that. Well, did you ever have any pushback from, from players that thought Christians were soft? Well, that was like, I, that was one of my biggest um, barriers to really surrendering, uh, you know, to the Christian faith going into college. Like all the best players that I knew in college were, you know, they weren't solid Christian, like, you know, they weren't, that's just not what they were. They were kind of like partiers. They kind of were like, do this, do that, live on the edge, you know, follow the grateful dead, you know, just like, I don't know. I just was like mixed messages. And when I got to green Bay, Reggie white, I mean, again, here's a guy that was just an absolute beast on the field. People feared going up against this man and he would knock you on your back, help you up knock you on your back, help you up. And like, so like I witnessed someone, it was like, Hey, this is the most devout guy that I've ever been around. And yet he's maybe the best football player that's ever lived on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so I, I saw, I saw it like actually lived out by him and some other guys like him where that was no longer a thing. And the other thing that I realized was I had kind of grown up in a church where you know, maybe just kind of growing up in America, it's this way. Like we kind of wussify Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like we make him like this Hallmark dude. Like he's just like, Fairy tale, yeah. you know, Caucasian, blue eyed, long hair. He likes to wear a white flowery dress. Like he loves Easter and pastel colors. Like, eh, that's not attractive to me. That's kind of, I don't know. It's yeah. not, it wasn't attractive to me growing up. Then Danny Werfel, He's like, hey, I want you to read this book and read this book and read that book. And all of a sudden now I'm, I'm learning about a, a carpenter who hangs out with fishermen. And I don't know if you ever hung out with carpenters or fishermen. Like those are like dudes, dudes. Like they're, they're like blue collar, tough as nails. And then you start finding out stuff about Jesus. It's nothing like what was sold to me sort of in America uh, on Easter. You know, it was more like the Good Friday said a lot more about what he really was like not necessarily like the easter egg hunt dude that you know everyone talks about um and so like for me when it comes to being a football player trying to find out really a tough hard-nosed football player and yet a tough hard-nosed 
Christian, you know, Erwin McManus in the, uh, the book, The Barbarian Way talks about like, hey, as Christians, we're lions, but are we a lion that's like uh, living in a zoo, like the San Diego Zoo, getting fed every day? Or are we a lion out in the wilderness that can fend for themselves? And as a Christian, I was sort of like a zoo animal Christian, not a Christian that could go live out in the wild and survive. So, um, and that's just contagious when it comes to, I think, how you live your whole life. That's good. That's good. And I think even, Sarah, for us as women, it was it was real empowering to me to really start to understand like God's design for my role as a woman in a marriage. Because, you know, in pro sports, um, particularly in baseball, there's 163 games in 180 days. And so when I very I very first thought like a helper role is is um, I kind of viewed it more like weak, submissive, not very um, like I just didn't know how it was going to work for my personality and the way God had wired me. I didn't know how I was going to do the, the wife thing real well because of, <laughs> because of who I am and how I'm wired. And so I, the more I learned though, and the more I study scripture, yeah, I'm called to be Matt's helper. And of course I'm submissive to, to things in our home that he leads and he leads really well. So it actually is a pretty natural thing. But I also have learned that being a helper requires a lot of toughness. It requires a lot of sacrifice. It requires a lot of like, um, strong things too. And I think the more we study scripture and the more that we learn about, about who Jesus is really from the Bible versus um, maybe some misconceptions that we've learned in church along the way, or some things that we've learned from different people that really don't know a whole lot about what the, what the Bible says, but I don't know. I mean, did you experience any of that as, as following Jesus early that you were kind of like, wait a second, I thought this, but actually there it's this. Yeah. And, you know, I just thank God that he came down into my life um, because I think I am a stronger, smarter, um, better woman and better wife and better mom. And I'm going to make bigger contributions to my community and my, and this world because of my faith, because early on in our marriage, like that first year, I don't know. I just either, I don't, I remember I was in the bathroom and um, I had a job in Green Bay and I'm, I'm going to think I'm going to do both, you know, um, be the NFL wife, but also have my own career. And it was, it was hard balancing it because on Tuesdays he have, he has off and he wanted me to be with him. And I kind of wanted to be with him, but okay. I had this job. But, and, but I remember I heard, and I, it, it's just like, I learned it's not Matthew's job to make me happy. Mm -hmm. And, and that was so freeing. It's like God was saying, Sarah, go, go um, learn how to be happy, how to be um, your own strong woman. And that, and that allowed me to grow um, myself to be a better helper to him. Mm -hmm. And that mutual respect um, created a, a situation where he could come to me and say, Sarah, I need your help. I, this is, these are my goals in football. I need you to help me. That meant I felt more confident to be um, in charge of the home and take care of that, take that off his plate. It gave me a role um, and a focus and a purpose, but I wasn't like um, mad at him or thinking that he owed me because I was doing this. Mm -hmm. um, kind of God showed me my own role in, in our marriage, especially in, in the NFL professional sports world. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But. No, I was going to cut you. I was just like, this was your question was something that, you wrestled with. Oh yeah. Because it was like every couple's Bible study that we went to, um, you know, that like that verse would come up or something. And Sarah was like, she's intense. She was like, what? No, what? Oh, what? what? You know, like she was fighting it. Like she was like, I worked hard to get here. Da, 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 da. I got better grades than him in college. Wow. <laughs> she's just a competitive person. It's part of what makes her amazing. But it was a struggle. And I, and I think yeah, so I have a lot of compassion for, for women coming into the professional sports world as a supporter role, because I, I remember we'd be, go out and I would feel like I had to work into the conversation that I had graduated from college or that I had had a job. Um, and it's so sh shameful, embarrassing. Now we'd come home from somewhere. I'd be like, Oh my gosh, Matthew, I did it again. I, I had to make sure I told them, you know, but I had a CPA. What I was going to, what I was just going to, I think there's a, there were a lot of, women who are going through similar things 
and some were the same age as us, some were younger, but many were older than us. And I think you sort of, it was, it was helpful to see it lived out. Yeah. The irons about our time in Seattle was like, I don't know how it is for other sports, but a quarterback, one guy plays, like one guy plays. So I get traded to Seattle. I'd thrown 29 passes in my life and they were um, not important. Didn't have a great college career. And the other quarterback, one of the other quarterbacks that I signed was Trent Dilfer, who just won the Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens. And he went there clearly to the stadium in Seattle is booing me out of the stadium every game my first year. Like they're introducing the defense every week because they know if they introduce the offense, like I'll get booed, the team will get booed before the game even starts. Like it was really bad. And how you handle that kind of competitiveness on the in that quarterback room really is contagious on your entire team. And Trent and I didn't like each other that much. And we would have been at, 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 you know, battling it out, but it was the wives. It was Sarah Hasselbeck and Cass Dilfer and Molly Heward that and really the quarterback coach's wife, Joy Zorn. And they just decided, you know what? These men are in a really tough spot. They're trying to live out their Christian faith. They're all very competitive. They've worked so hard. The stakes are high we're going to lead and like we're going to make sure that we're friends that we're united and that nothing comes between us like we keep everything in perspective and it was sort of like the husbands and maybe this is like this in a lot of relationships but like you may or may not hit it off with like the husband um but if the wives are best friends you're almost like (laughs) yeah you're gonna hang i got no choice let's make it work So, you know, so Trent Dilfer and I really had no choice. Like after a while, we were like, all right, our our wives are good friends. Like, all right, I, I, I can't be mad. I, we gotta, we gotta be friendly. And over time we became very, very good friends. And I think it really was contagious on our team that, you know, all the wives, they were kind of going through the same thing. The husbands were going through the same thing and the, the thing that was more important than who was the starting quarterback was sort of how we lived out our Christian faith. If we were going to put real action to our words, real action to our prayers. And, and, and quite honestly, at times we, it was hard to do that. It was hard to not put your self interest ahead of, um, about uh, ahead of like living out your faith. And, um, and then after a while, it wasn't hard at all. It was like fun to do. It was fun to just like do it with a smile. Like, Hey, well, I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to cheer for you. And, and you know why it's because I know why I'm here. I know what my purpose is. And, and I think for, for both of us, that was the same thing. And it really was, I believe contagious in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think that the Bible study leaders at that time, Chuck and Barb Snyder, their mantra to us, all of us, our whole group of um, Christians on the team was go through a trial in a God honoring way. And they would say it every meeting. And at first it was like, what? I don't want to. And what does that mean? And what does that look like? And it took, it took the trial. They, they said it every week because our team wasn't very good early on. <laughs> so we had lots of trials and it kind of, it just forced us to be like, what is God honoring in this? How do in, and, we all had such a um, open heart to wanting to to be God honoring. So and, and it, it worked. And it really what it looked like, I believe, is servant leadership. Yes. Servant leadership. Like you want to be the leader of the team. You want to be the leader of the huddle, the leader of the offense. Serve. Like that's the whole deal. Serve. Um, hey, it's, it's you know everyone's thirsty. Go sprint and get some water. You know everyone needs something. Go do it. Don't ask someone to do it. You go do it. Like servant leadership. And it was almost like this thing between Trent and I and Brock. It was like funny to us. It was like, who can out serve the rest of the offense? Who can out like almost to the point where we're like making fun of each other. And even at like at PAO at like this Christian conference that uh, we would go to, like even when we were no longer teammates, um, 
you know, throughout the weekend of the conference, people get up and they share some experiences and they share something like, like if they would name drop, oh, and Trent Dilfer meant a lot to me. Like, oh, it was like, oh, you're so, <laughs> like, it's like a joke. But it was like, um, it comes out of humility. It comes out of competitiveness, but it's, uh, it's not about us. And, and I, I think, again, I just think it's like, there's certain things like that are just really contagious or at least, at least they were. That because was it was our... authentic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a big difference. All right. Here's my last question. And then we'll let you guys, we'll let you guys get going. But okay. So the career's over. It's really, it's really, it's really quiet in our house right now, which some parents might think like, oh, that's good. It's quiet. It makes us nervous. Why no is it so quiet? Yeah, no kidding. It's not that quiet in our house. I hope that this microphone didn't pick up all the nonsense that's going on out there. But I guess my question is, is since both of you guys, um, it seems that you really value leadership and you were both incredible athletes and um, your career's over and you're raising three kids. Like when you look back retrospectively, like what are the couple things that you want to be sure that your kids know as they go out in their own athletic journey and um, kind of pursue a future in sports or leadership and because um, it seems to me that you guys are both really tremendous leaders and so I'm asking for myself as I'm raising kids like tell me what to teach them <laughs> well I think it's really like age appropriate you know it, it always it changes as you go but some non-negotiables some things you can always always hang your hat on I do not, we do not care about the sport that our kids play. And we're very big on multi-sport, but I think that's partly because it's not about the sport. It's about being a great teammate and being coachable. Like you can hang your hat on those things. And then, and then making the most of your God given ability, like those three things. And you're are just maximizing your God given ability. A lot of times in my career as an athlete, I wasn't maximizing my God-given ability and it almost like gave me an out if it didn't work out the way I wanted it to like, Oh, well, I didn't try as hard as I, you know, could have. And so I think just those three things, um, being coachable is almost a life skill, you know, being able to handle constructive criticism or just crit or, you know, just things that can make you better. And I just, I really believe that those first two things, just being a great teammate and being coachable, help lead, lead you to um, maximizing your God-given ability. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. I think you're, that's a huge thing we, we're constantly teaching them about. Um, if they're stubborn on learning a, on something, it's about being coachable. The way they hear things from the coach and they come home and talk to us about it, if we hear that they're being stubborn about it, we'll, we'll um, jump on them for that for sure. But um, the other thing I was going to say, I think it just jumped out of my head. But um, well, can I just give you, uh, can I throw like a just like one caveat there? The hardest thing for us as the parents is one of our other things is never under any circumstance after a game are you allowed to get in the car and badmouth the referees or yeah. make the excuse about the referees or in your case maybe an umpire. And that's hard. It's easy to parent and say that, and it's hard to do. Like it's hard for me to do it, and I can't. Not, I can't. I can't do it myself, and then ask them not to do it. And I've fallen short in that. And you know, I've lost some game in my career where, you know, the officials didn't have their best day. And uh, but I've also had some games where I didn't have my best day. So that's been convicting to me uh, personally, and us as parents, and especially with our middle child. Our middle child is quick to know, like. Who didn't have a good day? Well, the third base, you know, that did just, you know, or the back judge. And so um, that's a, that's a challenge. And I think uh, not sure why it's such a good exercise, but, but I know that it's, I know it's unhealthy when you, when you kind of take that posture. Yeah. Cause I think overall we would say what we try to teach them in leadership and that's to be humble um, and aware of that, especially if you're going to be a leader, everyone's watching you and everything you're doing. Um, and how you react when the coach says something, how you react if someone doesn't do something well in the field, um, how you react when you lose, how you react when you win. That's, I think we talk about that a lot. Um, and we jump on them a lot and we're hard on them when maybe we should be celebrating 
celebrating something, but we're like, hey, but look, we saw when that happened, you did this and everyone's watching you um, and they're going to take their cues from you. Um, and and I, but, but like all in all of this stuff, it, I guess it just is understood that have fun. Yeah. Like have as much fun. Yeah. He always looks at me during games and he just says, just cheer, just cheer. <laughs> well, be, because, because that is one of the lessons yeah. like, you know, and our kids, depending on who they are, what sport it is, sometimes they're the best player in the team, and sometimes they're on the bench and they're in the game. And so, but like, doesn't matter who, if you're the MVP or you're the person getting the water, have a joy in your heart. Be so happy during, you know, from whistle to whistle, be happy. And like, otherwise, we're not, we're doing it wrong. And so that's just sort of like the understood. Um, but I, we don't know what we're doing. Are you kidding me? We're just going, we're, we're just, it we're sounds just, good. it sounds good. It sounds like you might know what you're <laughs> <laughs> We have a lot of hours logged. We have a lot of hours logged. Yeah. Do, do any of you three do play football or no? So, yes. Um, so we have two girls and a boy, but our middle, our, our daughter, our second daughter, she was like the two time, uh, regional punt pass and kick champion. So she wanted to play tackle football. We, we, that never ended up happening. They played flag, but our our son's a, a young quarterback. He'll be a he'll be a high school freshman next year um, or this year. Sorry. Our oldest is going to Boston College um, to play lacrosse, um, and they are Division One. So it's going to be intense. So we've been telling her all along, like you got to love it. You know, yeah. it's got to be your decision, and you got to love that sport because it's going to be hard. Um, so I think we've been able to prepare her for that, and and. You know, there's no sympathy. There's no, it's like, you know, it's all on you when you get there. It's between you and the coach. Mommy and daddy can't make it better. I, but I think that one of the key things, um, just on the multi-sport thing, if, if our kids had picked the sport that they love the most, uh, way when they would have picked the sport that didn't love them back the most, if that makes any sense. And it was kind of my experience. Like, I wanted to play baseball. Playing baseball, I was certain of it. Baseball didn't love me back like the way that I love baseball. And so all loved me. And that's really why I ended up playing football. I remember people came to watch me pitch one day and I got shelled and I get home and I've got, you know, offers from like Ohio State and Iowa and like schools like that. And I'm like, well, I guess this decision is being made for me. <laughs> um, and so that was kind of the thing, like the daughter that's playing um, lacrosse in college, the first one, like she would have picked basketball in eighth grade. but now that would have been the worst decision so um i don't know that's just that was sort of like from our experience that our kids are probably paying the price for things that we learned when we played but um yeah and as a parent like you want them to play certain sports and they don't love them you know and you kind of have to let that go and let them figure it out themselves and that's hard too how do you as a dad when you're watching the kid get coached in football and, and you don't agree with maybe a fundamental or something they're teaching what do you what do you do with that yeah so mostly this is what I do this is like a rule and this is really important and I say this to young quarterbacks everywhere whether it's my son or not do whatever your coach tells you to do because there's a saying in football especially in the offensive line and I love this saying that the offensive line has it says if we're all wrong we're right like as long as we're together if we're all going left together the play is going to work. If we're all going right together, the play is going to work. But if one person's doing something on their own, their own thing, we definitely are going to fail. And so um, there's, there's a way to maybe talk offline to the coach about the philosophy or the technique or whatever. But uh, in our house, like my son would know without a shadow of a doubt, daughters both, same book, like they'd say the same thing your coach you listen to your coach i can tell you what i think here or whatever but if your coach tells you to do something that's what's right he or she is right yeah i think it's important to teach um authority like as i think sometimes parents go a little bit awry when they teach their kids that they can you know um have an upper hand on who's in charge of them at that time and i think teaching our kids how to how to be submissive to authority um it's real important when it comes to coaches and stuff. So I know I've, I've, I've seen too, like, sorry, too, like no, in no. basketball, when we were in like middle school basketball 
you know, like our daughters, they'd be playing basketball, something would happen and they would look over to us in the stands instead of looking over to the coach on the bench. And I, per we purposely, we were like, look away. Yeah. Like, nope, I'm not making eye contact with you. Like, she's looking at me again. She's looking at me again. I'd be like, nope, nope. You go look at your coach. Don't, mm -hmm. don't look over here. I will clap. And that's what Sarah was referring to. Like, we kind of have a saying, um, one of us is better at this than other, the other, but it doesn't matter who. Uh, when you're at your kids' games, just cheer. Just be the cheerleader. Don't be the coach. Don't be like, go to the goal. And the coach is over the pass. You know, it's, yeah. like, it's so confusing. It's so confusing. And so, like, I dealt with this as a quarterback in the NFL. Your quarterback coach is giving you commands. Your offense coordinator is giving you commands. And then your head coach is giving you commands. And sometimes those commands don't line up. And how I reconciled it for me in the NFL was I'm going to listen to the highest ranking officer on that totem pole, if you will. But what do you do if you're a kid and now your coach is saying one thing, your parent is saying another thing? It's just a terrible place to be as an athlete. And it actually ends up hurting you way more than it helps you. So, again, if we're all wrong together, we're right is, is, yeah. is kind of how I see it. That's good. I like that a lot. We need to start doing that. <laughs> just cheer. <laughs> just cheer. Umpires sometimes I have a hard time just cheering when the umpire. <laughs> I, I have to physically hold my lips together sometimes. Yeah. I have to be like holding my two lips together. Don't say anything and like hold them my lips together for myself. Yeah, Matt. It's so hard. Like the veins are popping. Injustice. Out of I'm not a big. I'm, I'm a big injustice guy. When I feel like there's... the strike zone really gets him. <laughs> and that, that was a problem when I played too. That bothered me as well. Walk humbly. Walk humbly. See right. justice. Walk humbly. Yes, that's right. That's right. Oh man, thank you guys so much for taking the time to come on and visit with us. This has been a joy. Do you guys still go to PAO? I mean, we may have to just come to football PAO. We do need to. You should do that. Yeah, yes. we're we're on the board until they mm -hmm. kick us off, which yeah. you know they should kick us off. They but won't. Uh, they won't kick the, the the it's just work as for like we're not as cool and young as we're really the board of PAO is really impressive because it's young players, yeah. uh, young couples and they're good players and they're doing great things. They're raising families, they're starting families. It's just very exciting to see because that was one of my big questions when we first started going. Uh, so the leadership, I guess the bottom line is the leadership in the NFL and what we've seen in major league baseball also is very strong. And we started the hockey NHL PAO last year. Yeah. And so that's really exciting. So I think, you know, if you're looking, you can find great, I mean, just really great Christian role models in all of these sports. Um, they exist. You know, once you find them, it's just kind of blows your mind. Like, oh, wow, I had no idea. And yeah. even as a player in the NFL, as a wife in the NFL, you know, we had no idea. So it is really it is really cool to connect with other believers in a space like that and, uh, and help each other grow kind of doing life together, uh, just in different cities. Yeah. I know it's funny cause I, I work quite a bit with PAO too, like on the board and stuff. And this was the, this last PAO was the very first time that I spoke in front of the group, like in front of the conference or whatever. And they asked me to do something. So I did what they said and got up and, and spoke and then afterwards there are a couple guys that work for NFL and and they came up to me and they said do you know Sarah Hasselback I'm like no I don't and they're like you remind me of her you remind me of her and I'm like oh that's nice you know and, and but you know we didn't know each other at the time or, or had met and then I did something else or something and I had like two other people during the course of the conference do you know Sarah Hasselbeck? I'm like, oh, no, I don't, but I hear that I should, you know, type of deal. They're like, you remind me of Sarah, you remind me of Sarah. Oh, cool. And so then when I met you at the NFL, because I was at a meeting, yeah. and I met you, at the NFL, I was so nervous because when people say that, like, you remind yeah. me of so-and-so, you're like, well, what am I like? Like, what, what am, what am really I like? Bad. So <laughs> is this going to be a good thing a or a bad thing? Yeah. yeah, like, what? So I was super I was, nervous I, to I, meet you. And I was like, and then I met you and I was like, oh, thank goodness. Like she's feeling she really good about me. Great. So, I must be great. So anyway. Yeah, cool. But it was really cute. So that's been kind of that's fun. Awesome. The, you know, the baseball, hockey, football. It's a it's a really cool community and a really cool ministry. So we're grateful to be a part of it too. But it was kind of a funny yeah. story. God, God has definitely blessed that ministry and 
through all the different years where it's just a remnant of, of players coming, um, it's 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 pretty awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Sure. I think I've lived in Boston too long. I'm saying awesome all the time. <laughs> it's wicked awesome. It's wicked awesome. Thank you for listening to Table 40 with Matt and Leslie Holiday, part of the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. For more stories on sports intersecting with faith, check out sportsspectrum.com.